Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Volunteer State, where the Tennessee Vols still run the state of Tennessee. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks and John Adams. Guys, for everything that went wrong in South Carolina uh, a week ago, there were some concerns. Maybe, ooh, would, would Tennessee be vulnerable against mighty Vanderbilt with Vanderbilt's two conference wins? No, nothing Nothing to fear here. Tennessee finishes strong. Joe Milton gets the win in his start, although it was it was more to do with the run game, more to do with the defense. What do you guys think about the way Tennessee responded to the loss against South Carolina? I know it was against Vanderbilt, right? We get that. But still, this wasn't a two, three touchdown victory. This was um, you know, domination from from start to finish. Yeah, I mean with my take on Tennessee is that that when they play well, we know exactly who they are. You know, after the Georgia game, we said, well, how, how are they going to respond? And they uh, annihilated Missouri. After the South Carolina loss, we said, how are they going to respond? They annihilated Vanderbilt. And it's, uh, you know, the, their, their ceiling is blowing out mediocre to bad teams. Uh, the, their floor is they physically can't match up with a playoff team like Georgia and their, their floor on defense is if you can throw the ball, they'll, they'll give you a lot of yards uh, and, and a lot of points in South Carolina's case. So blowing out Vandy that the way that they did, that's if Tennessee plays, I, I said it before the game that it, it really, that the result of the Tennessee Vanderbilt game is going to depend on which Tennessee team came out, the Tennessee team that we've seen you know, 80% of the season of the one we've seen 20% of the season. And this was the, the 80% uh, Tennessee. And once they get into the bowl game, it's going to be the same thing. Are they going to come out interested and motivated and uh, efficient on offense? And if they are, then they're going to put up a ton of points on whoever they play. And if they come out somewhat disinterested, then they're, you know, they're not going to rise to the occasion. And I do think having covered Vanderbilt for a number of years and then now covered Tennessee, um, I do think this is probably the end of a period of time when that game was seen as probably competitive. Uh, of the previous 10 years, that series has split 5-5. There had not been a, a time in the Vanderbilt-Tennessee series when it was that even going back to the 1920s, early 30s. So it's, it's like a century. I think we're back to more of the norm now where Tennessee is going to expect to win that game in a route. Mostly because, I mean, I think Clark Lee's doing a pretty good job at Vanderbilt, but Josh Heupel's offense and, and what he has and probably looks like what he has coming in recruiting, uh, that's going to be uh, – Tennessee is going to overmatch Vandy in terms of talent, and also their scheme is just going to be a bad matchup for Vandy. Uh, what what we saw the other day is probably going to be more the norm the next few years. Yeah, I think it was impressive that Tennessee was really focused and wanted to rebound. There was no hangover from the South Carolina game and a lot of teams would have been impacted by that because Tennessee lost so much it wasn't like 
just like losing a game. It lost a chance for the national championship, lost a chance for the playoffs. That's a lot to lose, and it bounced back. I uh, also thought Vanderbilt had a lot to do with that. Uh, I mean, I, I know Tennessee has a high-powered offense, but in the second half, Tennessee was running simple off-tackle plays, and the runner just kept going. I mean, it was – 50, 60, 80, whatever. That's one of the worst Vanderbilt teams I've ever seen based on one game. I know it won back-to-back games in the SEC. I really have no idea how watching that game, but I know it did so. It did so, But uh, that was about the worst Vanderbilt game team I've ever seen in one game. I want to get into to Joe Milton and, and his start here in a minute, guys, but in, in responding to a couple things, Adam, I think you made a great point in that um, you know Tennessee's floor on defense is when it goes up against a, a quarterback who can who can sling it, they are are prone to yielding a lot of yards, and and that's why I think the the narrative coming into this game that oh maybe Tennessee's vulnerable against Vanderbilt that was probably short sighted because Vanderbilt can't do the thing you need to do uh, to to beat Tennessee either either have as much talent as Georgia does which obviously Vanderbilt doesn't. Uh, or be able to to sling it all over the yard. I mean, Vanderbilt's one of the worst passing teams in the SEC. They threw for barely over 100 yards against Florida. Um, they were shy of 200 yards against Kentucky. They barely topped 100 yards against Georgia. I mean, you, you can go down the line. Like like about 150 yards is kind of the base uh, for, for Vanderbilt. That's just and, – and, of course, they, they didn't throw it well, you know, in the rain on, on Saturday. So, you know, that's, that's one thought is that Vanderbilt – they, they were never built to take advantage of what Tennessee can give you. Um, the, the other thing is, I never bought the idea that um, that the team just rolled over at South Carolina or that they were, uh, you know, the strife in the locker room caused them to pack it in for the season, what have you. I, I thought that was a bad game on the road at a bad time against a quarterback who was getting hot continued to stay hot against Clemson as we saw the following week with South Carolina and Spencer Rattler beating Clemson. I just never bought this idea that, um, you know, that, that Tennessee mailed it in in South Carolina because the, the playoff was on the line in South Carolina. Tennessee still had a really good shot at the playoff at that point. If they were going to mail it in, you would mail it in the following week against Vanderbilt after you'd lost your shot at the playoff, right? Um, so to me... This is this is confirmation. This team didn't quit at any point in this season. I don't think they quit at South Carolina. You don't quit when the playoffs on the line and then come back the following week after you've lost the playoff and say, "Oh, well we're not going to quit anymore. We're going to we're going to play hard again." That's <laughs> to me that was not the issue against South Carolina. Um and, and sometimes you know that that can be the easy narrative when the facts are sitting in front of you. This is a pass defense that has been exploited against some of the better quarterbacks in this conference, and South Carolina did it better than anybody. Blake, you're you're missing it though. See the 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 union of the defense. Their their, their demands were met. See, they made a demand. They said, "We want Jeremy Banks out here." There you uh, go. We want an, We want an uh, eight hour work day. There were a few others, I think. Uh, no wind sprints at the end of uh, of practice. They made those demands, South Carolina game, and then they were met for the Vandy game. I mean, I saw Jeremy Banks out there. I don't know if you guys did. So they said, okay, we're, we're going to show up and we're going to do our jobs now. That's, uh, I, I think you're missing it. They, they, 
they quit the previous week, but they didn't quit Vandy because uh, Josh Hopple came to the uh, negotiating table. That's what the, my inbox the, says. The, the strike was over. The, the workers' strike was over, you're saying. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The DB said, you know what? You you don't bring our guy out here, then we're going to run about half speed. And that's why we got beat at South Carolina. We'll run full speed against Vanderbilt. So my, I, I'm sure you guys have the same uh, messages in the inbox, and that was it. Uh, selectively quitting. It's selectively quitting. You know, the Jeremy Banks is back, and you could say, well, that contributed to the shutout. I don't believe Jeremy Banks is Tennessee's best inside linebacker anymore. I think Aaron Beasley might have had a better year. Maybe he doesn't have the same, quote, leadership qualities, unquote, that uh, Jeremy does and doesn't have as much impact in a locker room. But Aaron Beasley's had a pretty good year, I think. For people that hear this and say, you you saying that Jeremy Banks had no uh, impact on the South Carolina game. Yes, he did. But the team was distracted somewhat by that. And they did come out flat. Everything that the players said, and I believe them, was that there was no sense of urgency. They came out flat. They didn't prepare as well. There were distractions on the team that went back to the Banks thing. And so they were not at their best in the first quarter of that game. And South Carolina pounced on that. It usually happens the other way around that Tennessee will see a weakness exploited, get up early, and then the, the opponent just, just you know, can't keep pace. So the Banks thing had a little bit of indirect effect, I think, on the morale of the team, the urgency of the team. They didn't have a good pass rush. He's their best pass rushing linebacker. That had a little bit to do with it. But they were still at, at 90%, and that should have been enough to beat South Carolina. So he had some effects. It's just very moderate effects. If Tennessee wins that game 56 to 52 or whatever, the South Carolina game, all that we're saying about the Jerry, Jeremy Banks situation is, uh, you know, he wasn't there. I wonder what happened. Apparently there was some disciplinary thing. He'll be back next week, and they dodged a bullet. You know, the, the fact that the result was a loss, even if they played poorly in a win, uh, we would look at it differently because there, people were looking for a scapegoat. And you blow a game like that, you got to have a scapegoat. And people flipped a coin on Tim Banks or Jeremy Banks, and it landed on Banks either way. <laughs> yeah, good, good point there, Adam. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, a, a common theme about the Georgia and South Carolina losses it's the two toughest road environments Tennessee played in this year. I think that's something that gets overlooked as well is you know, those were difficult road games. South Carolina at night on the road. It's an underrated environment. Uh, obviously, Georgia was was menacing on the road. I mean, you you know, you look at other road games this year, Vanderbilt, that's that's a home game for Tennessee. Uh, LSU. Yeah, Adam, you were there that that day. I mean, heck, Tennessee fans had taken over the stadium by by halftime. LSU's not at its fiercest, not even close at an 11 a.m. kickoff, and particularly with the way LSU started that game, like the crowd never got in it, right? So, um, you know, I'm not saying that that the crowd has everything to do with it, but I think there is something to be said for Tennessee lost its its two toughest road tests, and that's not necessarily surprising. Uh, Lots of teams do that. Look at Alabama. Alabama's two losses this year. They lost to Tennessee on the road. They lost to LSU on the road. I mean, winning on the road in your conference against a full house of, of fans, that, that can be tough to do. I think that that's factored into why Tennessee stands at, at 10 and 2 at this juncture as well. I think uh, fans have a tendency to completely un- eliminate the opponent as a factor when things go wrong. And South Carolina had its two 
top running backs were injured. So it was forced to change its game plan, uh, which worked out spectacularly for South Carolina. It started, it just turned Spencer Rattler loose. And then to give more credibility to the uh, South Carolina brain trust, I'm being sarcastic. Then they come out against Clemson and beat Clemson, another top 10 team. Again, with Spencer Rattler throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, so South Carolina wasn't a horrible team. And another thing that was that was beneficial for South Carolina in that Tennessee matchup, it has good cornerbacks. And it could hang with Tennessee's wide receivers just as Georgia's could. Didn't have as much help overall, but I think that was also a factor. All right, guys. Um, you know, first, an acknowledgement of maybe why we're not talking bowl games here. We're recording this podcast in advance of the Tuesday night rankings reveal. So, uh, you know, the bowl picture will become a little more clear after that rankings reveal, and we'll discuss it uh, more after it crystallizes in our podcast next week. Uh, but one thing, regardless of where Tennessee is headed in the postseason, guys, that will stay in focus is Joe Milton. Um, got his first start of the season on Saturday. Of course, he started a couple games beginning beginning of last year before giving way to Hinden Hooker. And I guess kind of a mixed bag. I mean, he didn't come out there and just play so well. You thought, oh, boy, this guy's NFL bound. You know, we talked about that last week. Like, what if he comes out and throws for 400 yards in back-to-back games with his athleticism and big arm? Would he be off to the NFL? Well, I mean, maybe I guess he still could be, but not not necessarily based on that performance Saturday. But it, it wasn't all bad, and it wasn't perfect conditions either. So what do you make of the future of Tennessee under Joe Milton based on what you saw Saturday? Does it change your opinion at all um, of how Tennessee should handle its approach at quarterback, um, not necessarily for the bowl game, but going projecting ahead into the offseason? I've been really shocked over the weekend at the uh, reactions I've heard from people, uh, other media members, VFLs, fans, uh, of the, the two Joe Milton camps. I mean, it's been, he's been a pretty divisive uh, figure over the past year, but just reactions to that game. Cause I've had a number of people say, Oh, he's, he's overthrowing guys still. I'm, I'm out on Joe Milton. He can't be the starter next year. And then I've heard, again, VFLs and media members say, yep, um, Milton's got to be the guy next year. He's got to be the guy. Based on that game, I don't see how anybody can jump you know, far in one direction either way in that game. You know, the elements were bad. It was, it was raining most of the game, a hard rain for the second half. Um, he looked fine at times. They didn't run him. I think that's because they only have walk-ons behind him. You want to keep him healthy. If, if Joe Milton's running the ball, called runs, then he's he's more effective. But let me read you these numbers. Last year, uh, his first start, Bowling Green, 11 of 23, 139, one touchdown. Vandy, 11 of 21, 147, one touchdown. Both games, he overthrew about five deep passes. It's the same game. His first start last year against Bowling Green and his first start this year against Vandy, it's the same performance. Wow, look at that throw. Whoop, he overthrew that one. Look at that throw. Whoop, he overthrew that one. Uh, he's, a, he's a 50% passer who's going to hit short to intermediate stuff. He's going to throw a couple wild balls, and he's going to overthrow more deep passes than he than he hits, and he's going to be a pretty effective runner at times. 
didn't show it in this game, but but he is. I mean, I was I've kind of been up and down on Milton at this point, and and I wrote it in my mailbag this week that if you have a problem that persists for this long, it's it's probably permanent. It's a lot of P's there. If you have a problem that that persists this long, it's probably permanent. At Michigan, he he had great raw abilities, but he he could not add touch to his passes. When he got to Tennessee, he lost the job because he did not have touch on his passes. Right now, from the one start that I saw, he lacked touch on his passes. I know he does it well in practice. I know he's done it well at times in games. This year in mop-up duty, great. He did it with Jalen Hyde, his first throw the other night. But if you have that problem that many times, I just – I mean, he's he's like 20, 22, 23 years old. I don't think it's going to be fixed. I, I, I just don't. And the fact that his numbers were pretty much the same the other night as his first start tells me that he's probably serviceable. Uh, he can make some improvements in the offense. He, he, could, he could be your guy next year, and he probably would get better a little bit over time. Josh Hopwell has got to look in the portal. I'm not saying he's got to go get another quarterback in the portal, but he has to go see what's available. Because if there's a really good option available, I think he would be wise to at least explore that. If nobody's available, then Joe Milton could be your starter, and he could be the bridge between Hinden Hooker and Nico or whoever. But I didn't see anything in the Vanderbilt game that made me think he that Joe Milton is surefire the starter next year. What surprised me with his performance was how he has played. I know it's mop-up duty, the game's decided, but essentially the game was decided against Vanderbilt for much of the 60 minutes. So uh, is he has been much more accurate on his deep ball this year. I know it's a small body of work, but he, he's hit deep passes. You saw that, uh, I guess, against Missouri. He can do that. So I was surprised he overthrew as much, but I – I don't dismiss the rain as a factor, but I think those are really significant numbers, Adam, you point out between Bowling Green and Vanderbilt. Also, how many passers, how many quarterbacks just hit every one of those deep balls on the money all the time? I mean, they are. It's not, it doesn't lend itself to a high completion percentage when you keep throwing deep and, and, Adam said it earlier, Tennessee's version of running out a clock and holding down the scores to throw a bunch of deep balls. So so maybe he did uh, Vanderbilt a favor. I wouldn't write Joe Milton off based on that, but I agree with Adam. And I thought this, no matter how Joe Milton played, you have to be aware of that transfer portal and who's in it. And if you can upgrade at quarterback or any other position, you need to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys on that. Here, here's the way I see it with the portal. Uh, best case scenario, you find a star quarterback in the transfer portal. You find Caleb Williams in the transfer portal. Now, I don't know that a, a Caleb Williams caliber quarterback will be in the transfer portal this year. You know, we we don't know. It's it's going to be a wild frenzy, I'm sure. You know, in the next several weeks. But yeah, best case scenario, you dive into the portal and you find a star. And if you do. And if Joe Milton wants to stay and be your backup quarterback, great. Love to have him. If Joe Milton sees you bring in a star quarterback and says, I think, uh, I think I might want to go play elsewhere where I can be the starter. Well, that's, that's not, you know, what you would want. You would want Milton to stay, but if that has to happen, then that has to happen because, Hey, you got a star quarterback out of the portal. So that's option a 
Option B is you go into the portal, you're unable to land a star, but you're able to land a body. Um, and so you bring someone in, add a little competition to the offseason. But Joe Milton says, well, I can beat this guy out. I don't need to transfer. You know, I'm, I'm better than this guy they brought in. And so all you've done is you've added competition. I look at it kind of like what Texas A&M, now it didn't work for Texas A&M, but Texas A&M brought in Max Johnson in the portal this past offseason. Haynes King looked at that and said, I can beat out Max Johnson. I'm, I'm fine here. Well, as it turned out, neither Max Johnson nor Haynes King worked out for Texas A&M, and they've since moved on to a third quarterback. Um, but point being, I think you need to look into the portal because maybe you can land a star, and why wouldn't you want that? Um, and if you can't, I don't think Milton's going to leave. You know, if you just add a body, if you add competition, who may or may not be able to win the job, I think Joe Milton's going to say, I can beat this guy, so I'm going to stay here and, and compete and try to win the starting job. I don't, I don't see there being a downside in trying to add a transfer. I think you either add competition to compete with Milton or you add a star player. And, and to yeah, me, yeah. either one of those is a good outcome. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't uh, put my eggs in the basket of Nico, um, not immediately. Five-star talent, I understand that. He, he may end up – Josh Hopple may like what he sees enough of Nico to say, I, I can roll with him. And, you know, you've got Virginia and Austin P. your first two games next year. Maybe you think you can play well enough or have Milton available to beat Virginia, and then you have a – a game where you can get your confidence against Austin P. But you, you go to the swamp in the third week, and Nico's got to be really good as a true freshman and really good in that offense. And that offense is, it, it takes a lot to adjust to that. And to ask a true freshman to do that in the SEC is going to be difficult. David Jackson's a four star, and he's really good. And he was not anywhere close to being ready to play uh, this year. So, You've got to have a guy that's ready to go, that's experienced, uh, in case Nico can't get ready sometime during his freshman season. Um, and Milton can be that guy. So, so, I mean, you know what you have in Milton. So it, it's okay to look elsewhere. And I think for the for the fans that really think you've got to really just go in all in on Joe Milton, I think there's some of this emotional attachment to – Liking the guy, I get that, that Hinden Hooker has a great relationship with, with him. I get that Hinden Hooker is not going to be on campus in, in a few weeks, okay? Just because he's like Hinden Hooker's little brother doesn't mean he should start next year. The fact that Joe Milton, you know, stayed and was a great teammate and developed and didn't take getting benched in a in a bad way, that, that's good. That doesn't mean he should start. All those emotions that you're feeling that think you somehow – you know, owe it to Joe Milton to give him the chance to start all of next season. If he's over, if he overthrows five or six deep balls against Virginia and you get beat in Nashville, how are you going to feel then? If you go down to the swamp and you get beat by a uh, less talented Billy Napier team, how are you going to feel about Joe Milton? So Josh Hopple has to think through these things throughout the whole season. And you've got to make those decisions in the off season about what you're going to do at quarterback. And, and by the way, Okay, the portal opens next week. You have the bowl game that Joe Milton can play well in, and I think you can feel better about him possibly being the starter next year. But the portal open next opens next week. You've got to look in it then, and you could go to the portal after the spring, and, and maybe you do that. But the problem with that is you don't know who's still going to be available then, 
And also, that's what you did last year. You picked up Milton after spring, and he wasn't ready. So whatever quarterback you're going to start in the fall, you probably won't in spring practice. So there, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that that Josh Hopple has to weigh in these decisions. Uh, the NCA has become very lenient, I think. So I think Tennessee probably should try and get a hardship eligibility for Hendon Hooker and get another year <laughs> out of him. He's uh, seventh year senior. I like it. Seventh year, twenty five year old senior brings a lot of experience to the table. So I. That way you don't have any – there's no controversy and, and no problems with maintaining the high-scoring offense. John, you're just trying to sow dissension in this team because if he comes back, he's going to get more <laughs> NIL money, and then who knows how his teammates are going are gonna to take that. Again, I'm reading directly from my inbox, not nowhere else. <laughs> One other thought on on Milton, guys. I want to get your, your take on this, and Adam, I, I believe he's, he's addressed this, so you can help me out there, but um, – you know, I wonder with some of these deep shots with Milton, how much of it is mechanics versus how much of it is just mental state, you know? Uh, and I'm not saying he's not locked in. I'm just saying, you know, we've seen athletes who have all the ability in the world and for whatever reason, just certain things they get in their head about. You know, you think about what happened to Rick Ann Keel and um, Major League Baseball or Chuck Knobloch or a, a golfer who gets the yips. Like, we, we know... Joe Milton can throw it a country mile. That that's not the problem. But how much of it do we think is an issue when he sees a, a guy streaking downfield? That somehow something mental just kicks in and he overthrows the guy. You know, and and John, you've said, well, he's been more accurate on those deep balls this year up till the Vanderbilt game, and he had been. But I'm wondering how much of that goes into this, right? Like, there's a different type of pressure being the the starting quarterback than there is coming in in mop-up duty. Now, John, to your point, a lot of this game against Vanderbilt was mop-up duty. And yet still, I think there is a different level of pressure knowing that, hey, I'm the guy. I'm expected to be the guy here. I got to come out and press because, you know, I could be QB1 next season if I if I play well. Like, there's, there's something different. You know, it's like, you know, I can go to the driving range and hit it 230 yards down the middle. I go to that first tee. I mean, ten to one. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting one off the toe and reaching for, reaching for a breakfast ball. It uh, doesn't matter how well I hit it on the driving range. There's a different mental state when you stand up there to the, to the first tee. Do you, what do you guys think about that? Do you think this is as simple as a mechanical issue, or, or could this be something, you know, where he's got to get out of his own head on this? Yeah, earlier in the season, uh, quarterbacks coach Joey Halsley uh, said it was, a lot of it was mechanics. Certainly, a good deal of it was mechanics. The other night, Joe Milton said. Um, he got overly excited. He just just got into it too much, got too exuberant, and, and just overthrew balls. I think it's probably a combination of the two. His his mechanics left him because of of um, his excitement. Um, I, I mean, I think what it points to is yeah, the pressure is different. And again, we're talking about him as a starter next year, and you know, having to do that in an SEC game for four quarters is is quite different than if you're coming in with a 35-point lead and throwing against twos and threes. Um, again, I'm not out on Joe Milton, but the deep passes, that that has to be better. You have to feel better about it. Because here's the thing as a play caller, whether that's Josh Hopple or Alex Golish or whatever, um, when those guys scheme up a guy to be open for a touchdown, they know it before the snap. Uh, you know, there's that, uh, I think it's a video of uh, Lane Kiffin, right, when – 
at the snap of the ball, he has his arms up. I think it was a play last season uh, where he has his arms up for a touchdown at the snap of the ball because he knows I schemed this for this point in the, in the game for this coverage to play off of this previous play that we had run and everything, all the pieces are in place here. And all he's got to do is throw it and catch it. And it's a touchdown. Uh, Josh Hopple and Alex Golish have that same sense too. I worked all week on this. I watched film for this. I schemed for this. I watched the coverages for this. Everything is there. All you have to do is throw the ball and the guys to catch the ball and it's a touchdown. And when those things are drawn up, like let's say eight times a game and you hit one of them or you hit two of them, uh, play callers do not take that well over time because when they draw it up, they want it executed, you know, a pretty decent percentage of the time. And so that's, that's where you're going to get the decisions of whether or not they go into the portal and, and who they consider. Because um, if they go into next season and think that Joe Milton over four quarters are still going to miss a lot of those deep balls, that 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 could become an annoyance. I think, uh, as you pointed out, Blake, the fact that he threw the deep ball better this season as a backup and didn't throw it as well against Vanderbilt there's also the weather factor. I don't dismiss that, but that makes me think it is a sort of an emotional deal. And you see a lot of quarterbacks come out the first part of a game, a big game, and they're really pumped up. I remember years ago, Heath Shuler, who had a powerful arm uh, for Tennessee, sometimes came out. He was a little wild high right away. Didn't that didn't prolong? He he got out of it, but maybe Joe Milton has more of a problem. That's why you have sports psychologists and armchair psychologists like us too. Sure, I mean I can I'll analyze anybody. John, I'll say it's funny you bring up Heath Schuler because I heard Heath Schuler on an interview uh, earlier today, and he was very much of the VFLs. He was very much in the I'm ready to go next season with Joe Milton. He's Schuler was absolutely sold on what I saw of Joe Milton in the Vandy game. I'm, uh, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's essentially what he said. It, he he overlooked the deep balls. It's a, the weather. It happens. I don't want to disagree with He's Schuler. I'm only half disagreeing with He's Schuler on this, but uh, um, I'm I'm not I'm not sold. I'm just still interested. Well, Adam, you're a former quarterback, so don't sell yourself. Right. You and Heath Schuler, both former quarterbacks. You know they, Heath, you they put the name up on the the lower third if he's doing an interview. Heath Schuler, comma former quarterback. Adam Sparks, former quarterback. And, and also, and in and in my heyday, I could throw it as far as Joe Milton if uh, if you give me two throws to get there, or pretty close. Need. But he could throw. He throws it what about 80, 85? If I did a crow hop and threw it twice. I think I, it'd be around there. It'd be close. It'd be close. All right, you guys. You probably we, just needed better receivers. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Maybe you know, it, that is fu- that is funny because one of the things that I heard was that uh, Joe Milton would be a better NFL quarterback because his receivers would be faster to adjust to that. Well, Jalen Hyatt and Squirrel White are as fast or faster than most NFL receivers, so I'm, I'm not buying that one either. <laughs> He'd just throw it farther. Okay, guys, uh, the, the all-important rankings out uh, this week, you may already know them as you listen to this. We'll be back next week uh, to discuss what that means for Tennessee and uh, also Tennessee's uh, bowl future. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh human remains that are left.
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.